your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Thursday. We're wrapping up, wrapping up the week, getting ready for Oktoberfest a week from now. I'm Rick Solom, 608-785-7914 if you want to get in here. Right now is a great time if you just want to spout off something. If you have something to complain about, as that guy says, forget that guy's name, (laughs) 608-785-7914. Lacrosse Fire Chief Ken Gilliam is going to call in. I'm going to do the call-in game because... Otherwise, he's got to sit in here with a mask on, and I got to put a mask on, and it's super annoying. I know the mask thing's annoying, but it's got to be done. It's got to be done at this point. Um, before we get into that, though, there is looks like there is voter fraud going on in Wisconsin. I don't know if you've seen the story yet, but somebody's been caught for voter fraud. A third case out of the three million votes. We've got a third person, almost enough to swing the election back to Donald Trump. Just another 20 or so thousand got to be found yet, but uh, a third person has been charged. This person, it's kind of weird how, I don't know exactly how this ends up happening if if the guy goes to vote and he's not supposed to be able to vote, they should be like, no, you, you can't, you're, you're, it says here that you're not you're not able to. So in this case, a uh, 63-year-old, he voted illegally in Fond du Lac. He's a convicted felon, so you can't vote. He hasn't completed his terms of probation. Apparently, if you, you have to complete your terms of probation before you actually become a citizen again, um, even though he's just living his life, he's just on probation. The the fines here, this is you know $10,000 fine, three years and up to three years and six months in prison. Three and a half years in prison. That seems like a weird amount. Why not three years or four years? No, three years and six months if you're convicted. That's the maximum. So $10,000 fine, three and a half years in prison. According to the complaint, Holtz told investigators that he went online. And as far as he knew, it was okay for him to vote. He must have did some some of his research that we all have been doing uh, over the pandemic on other things that we've become experts on. Holtz became an expert on whether or not he could vote, or holes, holes, I should say. There's no T there. Um, and he told the election workers he was on probation and doesn't know why they let him vote if he wasn't allowed to. So somebody let this person vote, an election worker, must not have known the rules. If you're on probation, you can't vote until you're off probation. So, I mean, these people are volunteers. Uh, they probably should know that one, maybe. I don't know. But uh, they, they let him vote anyway. So does is it that guy's fault? Is he lying? Should he go to jail for three and a half years because he's a felon on probation and, and now he's up for a $10,000 fine and three and a half years in prison maximum? Seems, seems a little extraordinary. But also, that's why the, 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 the maximums are the maximums because... You know, if you're doing this nefariously, if you're trying to vote nefariously, then, hey, $10,000 fine if you do this. Your one vote, if you want to vote twice, your one vote's going to count two times. And you're trying to do that, so therefore you're going to jail for three and a half years. Uh, the other co- the other two cases in Wisconsin, so the, the three now cases of voter fraud, and this third one, we don't know yet. 
But a 64-year-old from St. Croix County faces four felony charges for casting two absentee ballots. A preliminary preliminary hearing in the case is set for next week already. Um, And then in Sawyer County, a 36-year-old man was charged with election fraud after unsuccessfully trying to obtain an absentee ballot by falsely claiming he was a resident of the village of Radisson. So this guy's trying to get a ballot from somewhere else. So those, those, you know, look like nefarious causes to, of election voter fraud. And uh, you might throw the book at them, so to speak. You were trying to vote illegally, more maybe somewhere where you weren't supposed to vote or more than once. And uh, you're going to get fined the, the maximum or you're going to go to jail for the maximum to set a precedent. Hey, don't do this. I know everyone wants to know is where... You know, were these people Democrats or Republicans? Because we really got to know that, right? Like, it doesn't matter if it was your political party that was trying to vote, right? If it was the other guy, though, throw the book. That guy has got to go to jail for three and a half years. Find him $10,000 he was trying to vote for the other party. Uh, but if it was, you know, a guy in my party, eh, it was, he was just his mistake. He, you know, no big deal. <laughs> so anyway, three... Three uh, three cases now out of some three million votes. It's all turning around slowly but surely, even though we've already had another election in between the uh, 2020 November election. We're going to have another election coming up a little over a year from now. Better sort this stuff out or it's all BS and just trying to perpetuate the big lie. All right, Ken Gilliam's going to come in here. Not come in here. I'm going to call him up. We're going to talk about fire stuff. Speed bump talk. I got some speed bump talk. Should we be putting up speed bumps? I know Ken Gilliam's not for it. I don't know who, except for the 12 people that live around the speed bumps in that neighborhood, would be for speed bumps. I went over there and took some pictures. Uh, You know, it's the uh, area where there's a bunch of traffic circles already, and now they want to put speed bumps. Be great for your kids on the bikes. Maybe that's what it was. Your kids on the bikes were like, hey, mom. Like, let's let's petition the city council to put speed bumps on our road so I can jump my bike in the road. <laughs> um, also, uh, a couple other things, like a bi- bicycle bluff rescue, canoe rescue, a fire that happened last Friday, uh, and then where we're at with the fire stations, and Gilliam's new job in Holman. We'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to the Crosstalk PM 608. 785-7914. If you got wacky questions for the fire chief, let's let's throw some wacky questions at him. Ken Gilliam is on with me. Been I always do this, Ken, and I always forget. Been doing the the job for how many years now? I've been on the cross a little over four years now. A little over four years. And uh you're the Holman fire chief for like three weeks? <laughs> yeah, a couple, couple, three months since July. Since oh, since July. Okay, because I feel like it, man, maybe time flies, and I'm just not, uh, not remembering right. The summer, that, the summer flew by, right? And and also, it felt like ten years ago too. Yeah, <laughs> everything, everything during a pandemic, you just add a year to each month. Um, well, let's let's start there. The the, can you explain why? The, why we made this move, not we, but like why Holman made this move to incorporate you as the dual chief of lacrosse and Holman? Yeah, sure. Um, so over the course of uh, 2020, we all participated in a study in the area, or the majority of the communities did, uh, looking at regional fire and EMS opportunities. 
uh, the Wisconsin Policy Forum uh, was selected by the, the county and the La Crosse Area Planning Commission to uh, do that report. Uh, that published in December of 2020 and, and came out with some uh, some concepts for communities to look at. Uh, the Holman Area Fire Board that represents or serves three communities up there, Town of Onalaska, Town of Holland, and Village of Holman, uh, took the opportunity to reach out to us just to look at shared fire and EMS opportunities to strengthen their system. Um, and as we worked through that negotiations over the course of the spring, uh, ended up with a, uh, an MOU, a memorandum of understanding for at least the next year to uh, open the door for uh, myself and my administrative staff to take over the fire chief role in the administration of the department. And uh, as I've been telling people, it's kind of like we're, we're going to date for a year or two and kind of get things figured out and move methodically through things and get to know each other a bit better uh, before we certainly do any really long-range contracts or anything. But things are going really well. Um, we've got the uh, we've got the department on the uh, career staff on a 24-hour rotation. We've still got their part-time employees engaged, and uh, we're we're digging into just kind of help strengthen their system up there. Is there is there a case here where Holman uses you for a year and then says, "All right, we've we kind of figured out how things work," and then maybe maybe one of the veterans in the department uh, is is hired as chief, and then you kind of you can kind of come back to lacrosse and focus here and. It's just a matter of like writing the ship a little bit and figuring. Oh, these are these are ways you guys uh, can better efficiently run. And then for a year you do that, and then they take over. Yeah, I mean that's certainly an option for the board and those communities up there. Um, you know, it gives them some time for assessment and looking at what we bring to the table. Um, I'm certainly hopeful that it keeps moving forwards towards a larger consolidation. I think everybody that's heard me speak before knows I'm in favor of a more collaborative uh, regional fire and EMS districts. Uh, I think there's a lot of economy of scale to those. Uh, that being said, you know, six, 12 months down the road, if uh, those communities decide that that's not a way they want to go, uh, we're certainly keeping everything amicable and and evenly and legally split right now where we could hand it back off to an incoming fire chief. Uh, it's really, uh, I, I think it's on me to, you know, um, deliver what we say we can deliver and hopefully they'll uh, they'll like the relationship and benefit from it. Uh, that being said, at the end of the day, if we all agree to part amicably and uh, just go our separate ways, you know, my, my workload lessens. So to me personally, uh, you know, I'm going to give it my best shot for everything to work out. Um, but uh, we, we certainly left some outs for uh, both sides of the contract for uh, either community to get out of it if they needed to. We talked about this a little bit before. I don't know if we talk about this off air or on air, but you know, up in Holman, it's a, like an ever growing community. It seems like suburbia up there. There's just houses and houses and houses, and there there isn't a lot of uh, I don't know. Do they have one fire department? So the, the idea that if you take the fire department and you draw a circle around it. That's the the best case scenario for that fire department to get to a certain you know uh, per, you know their parameter safely without like destroying a a, ho- a home or a community. Um, is it is it a case where Holman keeps growing like this and you, you know we're gonna have we're gonna see these circles we're gonna need more circles essentially we're gonna need more fire departments. Well, and I think that's where looking at their growth patterns and I, I can't speak for the village, but they're they're adding on you know more than a hundred homes a year for the next few years. Um, there, there's clear growth patterns up there, and um, as they're looking at keeping up with the fire and EMS volume that comes along with that, that's where maybe us taking uh, care of some of the administrative stuff and, and the upper management allows them to position more boots on the grounds and ultimately get more firefighters uh, out on the street to deal with the fire and EMS emergencies. Um, so I think, you know, it's safe to say that 10 and 20 years down the road, Holman and that area up there are going to look a lot different. Uh, and uh, you know that's that's not isolated to here. That's ha- that happens all over the country and kind of that that suburban sprawl. 
uh, what we're committed to at La Crosse Fire Department is certainly bringing our standards and, and what we've achieved in the city to, to help them out up there. And, uh, you know, at, at the same point, we're certainly making sure we're not, you know, um, unfairly treating the taxpayers of La Crosse that are paying for a larger system right now. So we're, we're making sure we're keeping everything very transparent and uh, that it, it's ultimately like fair and amicable, like we said earlier. And, and it'll look different a year from now than it does, but we're aiming for that longer-range 10- to 20-year plan. What does it need to look like? The uh, the amount of calls that Holman get is it just I don't know is it is it a lot less than I, obviously it's going to be less than Lacrosse but is there a comparison there like if you take the size of Holman and how many you know residents and businesses are there um, it, is it comparable to maybe a, a portion of Lacrosse. Yeah, yeah that's that does, and that's one of the hard things. So, you know, collectively, it's a little bit over 90 square miles. So it's a, it's a huge district that that one fire station covers. Um, that being said, a lot of it's very rural out on the outer edges of it. Um, and I, I think the call volume at that one station with those three communities is, is equal to certainly like one of our stations in La Crosse. We've just got a heavier density and heavier call vo- or incident and call volume density. Um, that being said, right now they're a little behind the curve. That's why they realize they kind of need to regroup and, and look to the future. Um, we've got them onto a 24-hour staffing model, so at least now somebody's in the station all hours of the day uh, to make sure we're not missing any calls up there. And, you know, looking down the road five or ten years, they, they've acknowledged already that, you know, they, they'll eventually have to look at two fire stations versus one, and you have to have a staffing model that can facilitate that. So it's, it's just kind of with their smart growth plans on expanding the communities up there, it's making sure you have smart fire EMS, police, and, and all the other city services that come along with that deal. Yeah, that's kind of the dilemma, I think. Uh, you, if you don't have somebody in the fire station in the middle of the night, per, sir, for, so to speak, uh, then, then it, what? It falls on the next town over, and until volunteer firefighters from that that area can get there and get out to wherever the fire is. Yeah, ultimately, you know, up, up before uh, August 29th, when we made the switch to uh, the 24-hour staffing, there um, totally reliant on the callback of the full-time staff as well as the part-time volunteers. And, you know, when the stars align and nobody's available, you know, there's no way uh, on a voluntary basis to ensure someone's going to be in town every minute of the day. So it's kind of that worst-case scenario where two or three simultaneous calls come in and you just don't have the capacity. So that, that bleeds over to our kind of mutual aid agreements and our statewide Mavis agreements and, and making sure that we have backup plans in place uh, as, as different communities hit different staffing levels of, of concern. So uh, I think moving forward right now with Pullman, we, we've got their their – uh, daily staffing uh, stronger, and then we're really looking at our, our mutual aid partners around them, and as well as lacrosse, and how we can better serve on a on a regional district, and and just make smart moves with our rigs and our personnel, and and uh, doing things a little bit uh, smarter with the larger service area. Yeah, it seems like kind of a dilemma if the if firefighters that are on a volunteer basis, you know, we don't have, hey, you're going to be on call, you know, tonight, and then the next guy, you're on call this these couple of days. Um, how and you know I don't want you to pick on other fire departments, but is that do that seems like a loophole? Are the because La Crescent is La Crescent full time? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, no, La Crescent La Crescent is a part time paid on call or volunteer. There's okay. very few that are doing it. Like I'm I'm a volunteer. I don't get paid anything. Most most uh, volunteer fire agencies are doing some sort of hourly pay or stipend. Um, I, I think every restaurant in town's got a help wanted sign in front of it right now. And you look at a lot of businesses; they're all looking for workers. And, and the hourly wages are increasing. And, and as you look at the, the demands on the traditional volunteer fire service, as the community grows and the call volume grows, you keep 
laying those demands on on, on people and uh, in today's world, you know, you've got, you know, families where both spouses are working and uh, there's just not that much time of the day. Em- employers can't allow a person to leave to go jump on a fire engine and come back to work in a few hours because they're just running that tight as well. So those staffing models are getting challenged. Uh, different communities are dealing with that differently and having, you know, better or lesser successes um, in the area up around Holman specifically that I'm responsible for. Um, it, it was strained. They're they're having a hard time recruiting and retaining, you know, long range uh, volunteer paid on calls. So we're moving to this blended uh, part time full time where we will have part timers riding the rigs some days, uh, and you know, and as they can continue to expand into dedicated full time staff, you know, it's, it's a model that they can build into while staying within the, uh, you know, the income and the, the levy limits and different things that impact communities as they're growing and uh, the the restrictions that the state put on growth. Yeah, selfishly, I just want to know if uh, if there's a fire, if the Hoka Fire Department's going to volunteer fire department's going to get to me, or it's going to be one of those loopholes where everyone's you know busy that night. That's a volunteer, but on Alaska, on Alaska is kind of a, a they have some full time and some some volunteer, right? Yeah, correct. So on Alaska is kind of um, a little bit further ahead of where home is at. They've got uh, a little bit better daily staffing and full time career staff. And then a, a little bit stronger bench of part time. So uh, we're we're moving home and along, really in line with where on Alaska is out on that on that blended combination approach. Uh, you being out in Hoka, and I know you got a lot of listeners over the little you know the river there and the, the imaginary line of our community. But uh, I, we do have a good mutual aid relationship with La Crescent. Uh, we've been trying to strengthen that over the last few years. Uh, La Crosse Fire Department has uh, radio capacity with our, our dual-band radios to hook into the Minnesota Armor Radio System, and we communicate with La Crosse. And so uh, we've been talking with the fire chief there. So out in Hoka, in Hoka you know, if, if they call La Crosse for mutual aid, there is a chance that uh, La Crosse could be coming across the, the Blue Bridge and, and you know, covering a second call into uh, La Crosse or whatever they need over there. So. Yeah. The, the 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 issues with living in rural <laughs> in rural America because uh, Hoka is about seven minutes from my house and La Crescent's like you know fifteen minutes so uh, I don't I don't know how long my house would last or my neighbor's house if uh, if there was a fire so um, anyway so that's Fire Chief Ken Gilliam we got to we got to take a break here for Scott's comment and and the news but uh, Ken there is a call coming in so we're gonna try this. Oh, no, hang up. Oh, good timing. Uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll hit the news. We'll come back with Ken Gilliam. I got to talk about speed bumps. We've got to do the speed bump talk. Uh-oh. And then uh, I, I've, I've got an idea here for you, Ken, for a new mascot. I can't wait, Rick. The city police department lost their mascot. I'm wondering if the fire department could inherit it. We'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. Lacrosse Fire Chief Ken Gilliam Holman, Fire Chief Ken Gilliam on. I'll just start introducing you like that, Ken. See what happens. Just start smashing. Yeah, we got to come up with a good acronym or something. <laughs> the, we'll figure it out. The LCH Fire Chief or something like that. Yeah. Um, all right. So yesterday we had news that the city of Lacrosse. Uh, I, I sent Mitch the email to Wolfgang Hour because I emailed him first, I think, and uh, I got a, I got Wolfgang Hour is the creator of Hatched Baby, the big, big, giant baby that's coming out of an egg that sat outside of City Hall. If nobody knows this yet, then they've been living under an egg. Um, but I and I, and I got it. There e- can't be anybody in the region that doesn't know about this tragedy, <laughs> right? No, 
especially, especially if they're listening to this show, because I talk about Hash Baby maybe more than any other topic ever. Um, but I sent Wolfgang an email, and he emailed me back, and I definitely think there was some translation issues, because he's like, oh, I'll get back to you this weekend or something like that, and I think it meant to say have a good weekend. But um, the, the You're going to si- end up with like a baby coming out of an egg delivered to your house. And- I Well, number three's already actually made us a baby, but we gave it back to City Hall. Nice. Uh, it was just like a miniature version. There's a. I'll send you the funny video I have of uh, Hatch Baby staring at Mayor Tim Cabot at the time during a show once. Um, but the city said that it can't be repaired. Wolfgang told the city, yeah, it's not going to be able to be repaired. They must have sent him a bunch of pictures. And so we have this baby that's sitting in the basement of City Hall. And I don't know I don't know the next step because is, does the city have to pay Wolfgang? It's estimated at $23,000. Does the does the does Wolfgang just say throw it away or do whatever you want with it? Because I think if that's the case, if we get if the city gets to keep Hatch Baby, the police department had Hatch Baby for three years. We saw what happened to it. They're not doing a very good job. Get, it gets punched in the temple a couple of years ago, and now this, and we still haven't found the vandals. I don't want to. I don't want to get the police and the fire department fighting. But I think maybe the fire department. You're building these nice new fire stations. Maybe pick one of these. Maybe maybe the maybe the the fire station that needs the most attention, and inherit Hatch Baby. You guys are part of EMS services. Uh, we could put a big giant band aid on Hatch Baby to show that you know the fire Hatch it together with some duct tape and band aids. I like it. Yeah, like put some funny band aids on there and put Hatch Baby out front of a fire department. What do you think? I, I had originally, when they were trying to uh, determine where to put Hatch Baby, I had I had made an appeal for the fire department to get it. I was going to put it up in front of Fire Station Four, the one we were trying to uh, initially get replaced. So uh, Mayor Cabot, though he trumped me, he put it at City Hall. So it was just. Uh, bad deal for fire but yeah we had tried and uh no it's uh that it's uh it's a bad deal you know it this i knew the community would eventually this thing would become an icon so i i haven't had a chance to talk with mayor reynolds about what the plans are for it as far as if, if there's you know any repair capacity at all or if we're going to have it like lying in state in the city hall lobby and do a funeral or something but i think we got to do some sort of send off it at a bare minimum yeah, if if nothing else, I mean, there's enough artists in town. I feel like we just have we recruit some artists, get the arts board, get the artists on the phone, and uh, have them come check out Hatch Baby. Even though the guy that originally created the thing says it can't be repaired, there's always something somebody can do to repair it, even if we yeah. do it a, a, in a in a, a little he, bit jokey. He's, a, he's an artist. We we had people build a giant blue bridge across a massive river. I think we can get somebody to patch together blue babies. There's listeners out there that are already developing a plan for this. I'm certain. Yeah, well, there's petitions out there trying to get Hatch Baby to come to you know to their business. Man, I thought I thought when we first got this thing, any business would really want this thing out front of their storefront because it's just going to attract attention and bring people there. Um, I agree. Back in the day, fire. My dad has a 1956 Ford F100. It's fire engine blue. Hatch baby is blue. Uh, can we? Tra- is there any? Can we just transition our new fire trucks when we get them? Can we? Can we go back to old fire engine blue, or is that not that not, not going to happen? No, we're we're fire engine red. <laughs> I like red. Um, you can see your reflection in red. So. I, I haven't seen a blue fire engine. I don't think ever. I, my dad's truck is I, pretty I fancy so. blue, though. Is this no. is this just the color of paint, or were fire engines at one point blue? No, I think I don't know. Somebody did something weird there. There's a few yellow and green engines out there, but that's they pulled them off the tree a little too early. So yeah, my, my personal <laughs> opinion is fire engines should be red. I want to say Campbell has a yellow fire truck, or did at one time. Maybe they got a new one though. Yeah, I'm not certain. 
Um, all right, so Tom, I think Tom's calling back. We'll see. Tom, sometimes Ken has math questions for us. So we'll see what Tom has to say here. Southside Tom, you're on the phone with Ken. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, what is, uh, what is Hatch Baby made out of? Is it fiberglass? Yeah, Ty, we cut an end out a little bit. Um, yeah, I think it is fiberglass. It's been a while. I, I honestly... It, it's not. I made the joke the other day, Ken, that it was paper mache. You put the balloon inside, and you put the paper with glue on it over the balloon. Uh, it is not paper mache. No, I think it's a little more complex than that. <laughs> um, all right. So from one kind of goofy thing to well, this isn't so much goofy, but I, I kind of make fun of the fact that um, I think it's the Washburn neighborhood. It's between Eighth and Tenth Streets on between King and Cass on Eighth and Tenth Streets. They want to put speed bumps out there. Uh, for for just the slowdown traffic. There's already traffic circles in that area, so I don't know. People must be just gunning it down 8th and 10th Streets in Washburn area. This is something that we've talked about in the past. Um, how annoying would it be for that area, for, for guys like driving your trucks? There's already traffic circles in the, in the way in that area. Now now speed bumps as well. Yeah, so that's uh, that's been in the last few months of between the Board of Public Works and Council. There were some requests for temporary speed bumps to be put in, and our position on the fire department has is, is just been let's let's do it based on data and need, not just a desire uh, because of of a belief. Um, if there's uh, you know if there's increases, you've got a you've got a city engineering department, a city fire department, police department, and, and we need to look at all the data and make sure we're making smart moves. Um, there are studies out there that. Uh, speed bumps, traffic circles, different traffic calming measures that are meant to slow traffic down, that also slows emergency response. So while, you know, one individual speed bump on one block doesn't seem like a big deal, if, you know, a few years down the road you got got 100 or 1,000 speed bumps around town, <laughs> that really has this exponential effect of, of slowing down what we're doing with, you know, our station placement and, and trying to get uh, a fire apparatus and a crew to your doorstep, you know, as quickly as possible when you're having a medical emergency or a fire uh, they impact uh, the police department the, the same way. And then, you know, you look at buses and plow trucks, there, there's a lot of different things we need to consider. So um, the council did elect to have the Board of Public Works uh, deal with those requests for speed bumps. And I, I was not at the last Board of Public Works meeting. Uh, one of my assistant chiefs was there, but they did have a dialogue about doing a little bit more in-depth study into, you know, all of our traffic calming measures from, you know, roundabouts to circles to bump outs and a lot of the things that are going on. So I'd encourage people, you know, certainly talk to their, their council members, let them know how they, they feel about those things, whether it's more or less. And I think it's, you know, kind of a larger community dialogue about uh, varying opinions of, you know, do we want to slow traffic down versus the ripple effects of what happens when we do that. Also, there are speed limits, so there we could we could try to I don't know put a put put a cardboard cutout of a police car out there to slow people down. I think that would work better than speed bumps, uh, although it might be kind of an eyesore. That that place is a weird weird spot in in Lacrosse to say people are and and if people are driving too fast people, down that road, people are driving too fast. But there's already the traffic circles, Ken. And then you, you guys uh, have ex- expressed concern with Cass Street already with bump outs. So, and then from Cass Street to King Street, we've got bump outs, traffic circles, and now they want to add speed bumps. You're going to need, you know, monster truck fire truck. You're going to need fire trucks with monster truck tires to get through that area. Yeah, you know, the, the bump outs, when the street's empty and everything is a sunny day, it's not a problem. But when you, when you add a confused driver because there's a fire truck coming at them, you know, or a foot of snow and all these other impacts that we deal with, 
um, they start to cause us problems. Uh, we, we have had traffic circles in town where a couple of our fire apparatus are too big to navigate through them, so we're having to route around them. And, you know, th- those are just points of frustration. We're dealing with it as best we can and working with city engineering to make sure that, you know, what we're building, we, we're not impeding our access to people's homes. Um, and it's just really, uh, from my perspective, it was a plea to council to slow the conversation down, do a full study on what we're doing, um, and, and look at what other communities have already been through. There, there's plenty of certs or studies out there. As you uh, do a Google search, you can see different communities around the country where there's a lot of data on the impacts of all these different things. And uh, just making sure we're making smart decisions about our traffic flows and, and the needs to control, you know, speeding through residential neighborhoods and whatnot. I will say that when you said, you know, if we put a couple of speed bumps up, there's going to be a hundred, maybe a thousand speed bumps. If we get to a point, Ken, where there's a thousand speed bumps in the city of La Crosse, we're recalling everybody on the city council and the mayor at that point. <laughs> no comment. No, I, I, you know, I think every council member is entitled to their opinion. Um, ultimately, I, I'm a, I'm a public servant. I'm, I'm charged with making sure we get expeditious fire and emergency, uh, and fire medical emergency response to people's homes and businesses. Um, all I can tell you is every time we put an impedance in to slow traffic down, that's slowing down an emergency response. Um, so it's really, again, we need to look at data. I think in that area that where those temporary ones were requested, when we talked to council a couple months back, we, we did like a three-year look back, and there were about 136 emergencies on those, in that neighborhood. There were a couple of them that had to do with anything even relevant to, like, a collision, and one was, like, a skateboarder running into a parked car. So there wasn't a high documentation of issues. However, to their uh, to their credit, there are members living on that block that believe there's a speeding issue. So uh, we need to we certainly need to address that and, and address those concerns, but I think there might be smarter ways to go about it. Yeah, about 45 calls to that area a year, you said? So about 136, you said? Yeah. So what when you but, say you know, a lot of those it, it's it, you know when a when a fire grows you know doubles in size every minute you know four minutes of no oxygen you're looking at brain damage we're we're in a business where seconds count so while a while a you know a ten second or a twenty second slowdown to deal with the speed bump you don't think that's a big deal that it, it statistically makes a fire engine go ten seconds slower when there's two or three of them in a row and now it's a thirty second delay. When you're when you're choking on something, you can't breathe. You know, it's a matter of perspective of how quickly you want to get that fire engine there. Yeah, and when we talk about the fire department, the fire department isn't just a firefighting apparatus at this point in the city. And this is a, another thing I wanted to get into. I, you know, uh, on Friday, I'm I'm done with work, and then all of a sudden, I I, I hear that there's a fire out at in the industrial park. Uh, I think a a, a a garbage truck started on fire. Yeah. And the then recycling it, place, yeah, a truck caught on fire and it got a little bit into the uh, pile inside of the building. Yeah, and then Saturday you guys had a canoe rescue. The fire department is responsible as a first responder there. Sunday you had somebody fall off the bluff trail on their bicycle. I don't know how seriously they fell or anything. There wasn't a whole lot of detail there. And then Monday you guys had to respond to a ga- somebody with an auger hit a gas line. So you had a gas line leak. So you guys are kind of doing a, li- a little bit of everything. Yeah, you know, as you look at our, our uh, strategic plan and our website, you know, we, we tout ourselves to be an all-hazards emergency response agency. So we're, we're going to just about everything when people run out of options. And uh, this, this week's just, it was a perfect cascade of, uh, of certainly some serious incidents that happened just back-to-back over a number of days. So Is that unique or is that something that, I mean, you guys respond to stuff all the time and you don't put press releases out for everything, but this just happened to be three days in a row and I caught the fire on my own. But that three days in a row where there was a press release. Also, I think Greg, uh, was it Greg Temp? What's his last name? Temp? 
uh, your captain. Yeah, there. he was our he was our acting battalion chief for the day. I think so, yeah, he, we we put out press releases on anything serious. I think you know the community certainly interested in their, what they're getting out of their investment of the fire department. So you know any any time there's a significant fire, or a significant t- technical rescue event like we saw with the river rescue and stuff, those are things we, we certainly want people to know about the outcomes. Also, that you know here's the return you're getting on your investment in the Lacrosse Fire Department. Yeah, and just I, 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 was, I was curious if that was unique, those four days in a row with four totally different things, or that's kind of a typical week, maybe not four days in a row, but that's kind of a typical day in the life of fire and EMS services is, uh, yeah, you're responding to different things, you know, not just every day, but multiple times during the day. Yeah, it's, you know, every day is a little bit different. I think that's why uh, a lot of the people enjoy our career. Um, it's certainly... Uh, you, you see a lot of things you never thought you'd see in this business, and you know it's a it's a great opportunity to help people on their on their worst day. So, um, I, I've enjoyed a great career with it. I know a lot of our folks enjoy it, and it's it's not you know you're not doing the same thing every day. Um, we do a, a ton of training, and we're out doing inspections in the community, and, and we're always preparing for things. And then you know events like this happen, and we've got well well outfitted and well trained responders that are getting out there and getting it done. So uh, it's certainly a shout out to all of my people that responded to those calls. They just, they've done just a fantastic job, and um, it's, it's not an anomaly. These things are happening every day. So. I, I want to ask you about the canoe rescue a little bit, just real quick. But uh, number three is calling in, and he's been waiting patiently. Uh, Ken Gilliam's favorite favorite citizen. Number three, go ahead. You're on the air. Everything is fine on the south end of Lacrosse, Chief. I appreciate that. Keep it safe. Anyway, I'll tell you a little thing about City Hall and the fathers down there. They all think they're book smart, but actually I call them book smart and street dumb as far as your uh, roadblocks go in the city. Speed bumps and bump outs do not belong on a fire route. they got to understand that you can't take a sharp corner with a long wheelbase truck. That's all I got to say. All right. Thanks, number three. Um, yeah, I think we covered that. So, uh, Ken, the canoe rescue, from what, I, from what I understand from the press release, is a five canoers were stranded on the La Crosse River near one of the parks here, and they were, they were clinging to a tree. Were five people in one canoe, or, or were there multiple? There must have been multiple canoes, huh? Yeah, so part of the not-so-fun of my life is I don't get to go to every call. So uh, I was not there, and I did get an update on it. Uh, I don't know how many watercraft were involved, but there were several people stranded. I was listening on the radio uh, dealing with something else, but uh, it sounded like when our crews got there, uh, they were certainly in a precarious position, um, but we had time to uh, to extricate them from their, their, uh, their positions they were in. Um, so a, a lot went into us uh, for the immediate rescuers using the uh, the uh, Fortuna boats that we have that are these big floating kind of yellow uh, rafts in a way. Uh, but we also had uh, crews staging a little bit further downstream to make sure we're you know we're we're worried about the safety of the people, but we're also worried about the safety of our responders going in to get them. So uh, it sounded like those crews were there for a good amount of time. It sounded like it was a very methodical rescue. Uh, end of the day, everybody was rescued safe. I know they got all the boats back, and uh, I think some uh, some boaters got a good life lesson on you know on the power of the river out there. Yeah. Um, all right, and then just one more thing before I let you go here, and we got yeah we got three four minutes. Uh, I always I always ask you about the updates where we're at with the fire stations. Um, Goose Down Fire Station is near UW Lacrosse, I believe, right? Yep, corner of uh, Lacrosse and Oakland. And when you say number one, two, three, I always forget which one is that number. That's number one on the list to be redone. 
That is going to be, yeah, that's our first, that's the one that's funded right now. Uh, that will be going out for bid in October. That is replacing Station 2 that's up on Monitor Street. So the new Station 2 and, and the new incorporated fire headquarters, that's actually where my office and a lot of my administrative staff will be uh, relocating to, uh, is at that property next door to uh, UWL. Uh, goes out for bid in October, uh, TBD on, you know, groundbreaking, depending on the bid and, and supplies and whatnot. But I'm, uh, I'm very optimistically hopeful that that'll be done by the end of 2022 so we can get into it before the winter. Okay, and that station is Station 2 or you're moving to Station 2? That that is the new station two. The current station okay. two is on Monitor Street. Oh, All of our you. mapping and, and our studies wanted that uh, station down towards the intersection of La Crosse and West, uh, just due to call volume and density and, and a lot of different factors. Uh, so we got that property uh, from the Parks Department just a couple blocks off, you know, the X on the map and uh, great location. We were able to uh, get a nice three bay fire station in there. It's where uh, shift commander and uh, a number of our administrative staff are going to be relocating to. So. Okay, and then Gillette Street is the one on the north side. That's the one that w- that is currently what is now designated a historic building. Uh, we've moved that to down to number two on the list. Um, and Brad, Brad mentioned that Brad Williams in the newsroom mentioned, "Hey, you got to ask him about this. Uh, are, are we starting to tear houses down in that area to, to because, right? Because we we we've gotten some property around that area. What, I guess what's the development plan going on right now for that?" You got to get that bike going right around town. Um, yeah, no, all the all the houses are down on the properties that we acquired. Uh, the historic station is there, designated historic. Uh, Mayor Reynolds and Council of the Capital Improvement Plan completed. Uh, we have money secured in 2022 for about half, and then the rest is in the plans for 2023. So as as we get done with uh, designing and bidding out Station Two on La Crosse Street. Uh, we are going to start working right after the first of the year on, on a new regroup on design up there. Uh, it'll be different than it looked before because the, the old station is going to stay there uh, still to be determined what's going to happen with that. Uh, so you're probably going to end up seeing a, a, a good two-story station on the other side of the alley. Uh, we own a little bit of property south of the, the old station. Uh, that'll probably become parking, but we're, we're way too early to call that. We'll, we'll probably see some uh, you know conceptual design into the first part of uh, 2022 on that. All right, and then uh, yeah, I guess we could we could maybe we, we're thinking about having the city have a like a, a a museum. Maybe we can make that a museum. It's a historic building, or we could just have it a a ping pong and pool hall. I think maybe we could do that. Yeah, you know, it was it was kind of contentious how it went down um, with the historic designation, and we were so far along in design. Um, I, I think there's some good ideas. It's it's whatever comes is going to take some money to do it. Uh, I have reached out to a couple of uh, development opportunities in the city, and I, I would like something good to be in that old station. You know, if if the city's going to keep it, we certainly don't want to see it just sitting there dilapidated and rotting on the on the corner. So, uh, I think what Mayor Reynolds' plan is is that there, our planning department is eventually going to do a request for proposals on that, go through the normal cycle like we would with any surplus properties, and see if some development entity wants to come in and do something cool with it. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful that something good will will become of the old fire station. You know, kind of, uh, we're going to regroup and do what we need to do to get the new station built on the properties acquired, and uh, the community will have certainly some dialogue down the road as we start to vacate that old structure on what it's going to become in a couple years. So, what do you think by 2024? Will we have two new stations? Yeah, absolutely. I think by the end of 22, station two will be done on La Crosse. By the end of 2023, station four should be done on Gillette. So we'll have. Uh, two new stations, and uh, we're working on remodel plans for uh, the Losey Street station unless uh, an opportunity comes through with the Kmart development. And then uh, we're still aiming to get a, a fifth station added on the south end of town. 
and uh, be working with Mayor Reynolds and Council over the coming years to determine, you know, how, how can we still get that done. We've got the data and the call volume that we need that Southern Station. Uh, it's just, you know, uh, the city stretched a little thin, and the, the pandemic hasn't helped with the economy. So hopeful that, uh, you know, some emerging strategies will come in the next couple of years to still stay on course with that. All right. Fire Chief Ken Gilliam, thanks a lot. And keep us uh, up to date on whether or not your petition to get Hatch Baby, uh, you know, as a fire department entity comes through. Right on. And if I got 30 seconds, Rick, I'll try and get it in. Oh, yeah. uh, I know Oktoberfest is coming up. Everybody uh, have a great time, but try to be responsible. Uh, you know, let's uh, stay focused today on uh, the pandemic and everything, but uh, have, have a uh, safe fest and uh, hopefully we won't see too much uh, shenanigans. So. Well, three firework shows, uh, potentially three, I guess two and then one just kind of a, a tapping of the keg firework. Uh, so you guys might be a little busy with some fireworks going on. Yeah, I think the you know the Oktoberfest group is actually doing a really good job dealing with you know distancing and things we're trying to get done. Uh, it's always the peripheral parties that happen in other neighborhoods and stuff that you know it's just you know take it easy a little bit so we don't ruin a good thing as we start bringing everything back to life. Sure. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah. Stay safe, Rick. Bye. All right. We got to take one one quick break. All right. That's going to wrap it up for today. Fire Chief Ken Gilliam, thanks a lot for coming in. Appreciate that. There's always, there's always so much to talk about. You wouldn't think we could get a whole show in with the fire chief, but uh, but we do. We manage to do it every time, and uh, he he appreciates. Uh, I think he appreciates having a little bit of fun too around uh, you know stuff like the hatch baby. And he, I make light of the speed bumps that may be going up in the King Street, Cass Street, Tenth Street, A Street area. That whole like four block area there. Um, he's he's definitely like it has a serious side to that, but. Uh, I appreciate the fact that he lets me have my little fun, and then he comes in with the serious, hey, these actually are going to impede the, the emergency services if they happen, and this is why we, we want to you know check this out a little bit better and, and make sure that uh, before we do stuff like that, it's safe. So he's down the middle on that. Uh, Hatch Baby had a little bit of fun there, though. That was I appreciate that. Uh, fire, fire department looking to inherit Hatch Baby as its new mascot now that the police department let us down. All right. UW Lacrosse political science professor Chagoski tomorrow.